Our scripture reading this morning comes from Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 23, through chapter 3, verse 6, if you'll open your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 23, this is God's word. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So... The Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. So far the reading of God's holy word, we give thanks for it. You may be seated. And as we turn to consider this portion of scripture, let us pray for God's help. O Lord God Almighty, who is Lord over all creation, over every day, and Lord... Over the Sabbath, the God of the universe is king of this, your Lord's day. And we are thankful that we already see that you use it for restoration. And as we come to consider more of your account of Christ's life given through Mark, we ask, O Lord, that you would help us to see the richness of what Jesus, the king of God's kingdom, does here in these passages, particularly particularly regarding the Sabbath. Overcome the deficiencies of the preacher. They are significant. And bless the reading and the preaching of your word to bring forth fruit in our hearts, to love you more, and to serve you better. And we ask all of this in the wonderful name of Christ. Amen. 
Have you ever had uh, a long wait, having maybe put your name uh, in, on the list for a table at a restaurant or something like that, only to have someone walk up to the host and immediately get a table while you linger in the balance of not knowing how long your wait will continue? Now, the frustrating feeling usually produces that objection, but I was here first, right? And so you approach the host and na- aiming to give them a piece of your mind, wagging your finger in his face and ask, who was that to get such an important treatment over the rest of us? And the humbling reply is, that was the owner. <laughs> now, in that situation... All of our grounds for protest as a patron dissolve under the authority of the owner to do what he pleases with his establishment. We know that it is not breaking the rules for the one who founded and governs this restaurant to use it as pleases him. Rather, that is very much the nature of authority in Mark's gospel Uh, The scope of chapter 2, verse 1, to chapter 3, verse 6, covers five confrontations, five controversies between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day. The first one concerned Jesus' authority over the forgiveness of sin. The second and third, which we considered last week, uh, regarded why he would feast with sinners rather than fast with the religious. And now we come to the fourth and fifth confrontations here in chapter 2, beginning at verse 23. Both of these events are about the Sabbath. The way that Jesus and his disciples observed the Sabbath and Jesus' authority in regard to the Sabbath. Now, there are layers that to how we need to come at this passage in beginning at 2.23. We need to see in context what these two confrontations contribute to our understanding of the narrative which Mark is building to tell us who Christ is and what his kingdom is like. And so we need to see what we can learn about Christ and his kingship. And then we also need to consider what we might learn about the Sabbath itself, right? And given that no evangelicals disagree about what the Lord's Day means or how to observe it, that should be a simple, but I hope, helpful task for our reflection. What we do need to see from this portion of Scripture is a reminder of how Christ is God, how God, including God the Son, has authority over how we serve Him, has given the Sabbath to us as a life-giving gift, and works on behalf of His people. These points, of course, point us, as always, to the beauty of grace provided for us in the Gospel. And so our main point... Our main point is that the Sabbath's purpose is encountering the king who gives life to his people. The Sabbath's purpose is encountering the king 
who gives life to his people. And we will think about this together in three points. Laws, love, and life. And so let's think first together about laws. When we, when we actually get here and ter- turn to our text itself, we find two, uh, slightly distinct, they, they take place on the same Sabbath, it seems, but two distinct encounters between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day. Both confrontations, well, really having to do with what we are allowed to do on the Sabbath. Jesus and his disciples did not adequately measure up to what the first century religious leaders expected of faithful Jews. In addition to the biblical mandates from the Old Testament about what it meant to keep the Sabbath holy, Judaism had constructed additional laws that still remain today about keeping the Sabbath to make sure that people kept, well, God's real law. We used to go to uh, the British Museum if Sarah and I had a free afternoon. So maybe three times um, we went. Now, uh, the rules are that you don't touch the artifacts, right? Now, that one is almost obvious, makes sense, right? Some exhibits, though... Also, in addition just to the rule that you, you don't touch the artifact, have a rope around it to keep people multiple feet from the object itself. The rope is there to put extra space between you and the artifact so that if you mind yourself to stay behind the rope, the extra rule, you can never break the real rule itself. And the same was at work, really, in in the first century, as Jews put a rope around the Sabbath to make sure that people kept God's command itself. In our passage, Christ steps right over the rope. And on this particular Sabbath, Christ and his disciples have two interactions with the Pharisees, as all of 2.23 to 3.6 uh, encompasses this, these, this two-fold encounter on one Lord's Day. Now, the first one occurs at the end of chapter 2, beginning at verse 23. And here, here in this one, the Pharisees were mad that Jesus' disciples plucked grain, heads of grain, uh, from someone else, from... Uh, while they were walking through a field. Now, here's the thing about that. Uh, we might, somebody might ask, are they mad that they were picking somebody else's grain? But that's not the case. So there are two passages, Leviticus 23, 33, Deuteronomy 23, 25, uh, just if you want them, uh, permits picking grain from someone else's field for personal eating. So clearly, what's going on here is the religious leaders have objections that Jesus and his disciples were violating God's Sabbath. Now, Jesus responded by, well, expectedly, in some ways, quoting scripture. And yet, what's interesting here is that his appeal to 1 Samuel 21, where this this story about David and his men going into the temple for the bread of the presence, uh, right, well, 
It contains a few confusing aspects. Mainly, these events mentioned from the Old Testament didn't take place on the Sabbath. So, what does this story have to do with Jesus and his disciples, whether or not what they were doing was legitimately permissible concerning the Sabbath? Now, if we think hard about that story, even even as Jesus summarized it there, that story about David, we know that David came to the temple for food and ended up eating the bread of the presence. If you read 1 Samuel 21, you know that he he goes in, and the priest says, I don't have any food, but I have the, the bread of the presence, which was typically reserved for only the priests. That, that was who God commanded uh, were allowed to, to eat it. Now, here's the thing. In that story, David told the priest that the king, who at that point was Saul, had sent him and his men on a mission. And so, because David was on a royal mission, well, he had special privilege to eat the bread that would typically not be available to him. It was outside the norm. It was outside the regulation. But royal authority made it permissible. And because his men were with him, David's companions also got to eat this special bread. And as as Jesus appeals to this event... This this connection, in fact, between David and his men seems to be the particular point which Jesus meant to leverage in his encounter with the religious leaders. Because Jesus' disciples were with him, they should be left alone. So imagine then, imagine then you're, you're back in line at that same restaurant waiting for your table. And instead of just one guy waltzing past you, a whole crowd of people strut to the host, only then for them all to be immediately seated. And so your reaction is no longer, who is he, but who are they? And the response will still be the same, right? The restaurant's owner led that group. And so everyone with him gets to skip the line as well. And in his debate with the Pharisees, Jesus then identified himself with David right? in the event from the Old Testament. Since David's men had been with him on a royal mission, the priest let him have the bread of the presence in special circumstances. Because Jesus' disciples were with Jesus, their violation of the norms, which was not the same as breaking God's law, I think in this first, both these instances, really, was permissible. Man-made laws caused controversy for Jesus, but at least his authority, at least his authority, set him in the right. That brings us to our second point. Love. Love. Our, uh, there's this series of five confrontations and our final confrontation beginning in, so in these first verses of chapter three differs actually really starkly from the other Sabbath controversy. Interestingly, in that 
Christ initiates this one. In, in these others, he's sort of caught, in, he's caught flack for what he's doing. And here, he goes on the offense. And I think, though, that the, the transition in, in this section marks an irony in both of these Sabbath confrontations. In the, in the earlier confrontation during the Sabbath, the, the Pharisees were upset about how much work that Jesus and his disciples were, were supposedly doing by, by picking some grain heads for food. And now in this confrontation, the Pharisees, as in Mark 3, 2, were watching Jesus in hopes to catch him out. Right? Now, the irony is that the Pharisees were more distracted from worship by looking for ways to trap Jesus than the disciples had been by picking grain to eat it. The Pharisees were working harder and worshiping less than those whom they criticized for working too hard. They were guilty of worse than they could invent about Christ and his followers. And fittingly, then, commenting uh, on this passage in the church's earliest centuries, uh, in, a, in a really catchy turn of phrase, a theologian named Athanasius said of the man in need of help in this passage, if he was withered in his hand, the ones who stood by were withered in their minds. Whereas the Pharisees had previously questioned Christ about whether what he did on the Sabbath was lawful, well now Christ turns the question against them about what even should be. Well, what do, what do you actually think is lawful? They refuse to answer because they knew good and well that their answer would not square with the Sabbath's true meaning and purpose. They wanted to say that Jesus' actions were unlawful, but, well, they knew better. Now, maybe just as we try to draw some lines to our own life here, maybe you've had the, the co-worker or even a boss who just had it out for you, constantly nitpicking your work to, to find and vent problems with it. And even when others are celebrated and congratulated for lesser standards of work than yours, you get flack for good work that attracts criticism only from someone enjoy, who enjoys criticizing. It's frustrating, it's demoralizing and discouraging. And I think as, as we even just pick up on that, we learn how this instance helps us then treat our brothers and sisters in church with us. We don't like it when people look for ways to pick at us. We appreciate grace and understanding. And most times, our church family is not trying to annoy us. 
And so I think we need to make decisions, and that I think we need to underline, make decisions, make decisions to let as much as we can roll off our backs with our fellow church members. I'm not saying overlook sin, that's not the kind of thing we're talking about. I'm not saying, I am saying, I am saying that we look to cultivate growth and love rather than to critique. Cultivate rather than critique. We decide not to be like the Pharisees who focused on finding what was wrong with others, really to make themselves feel better and look better, rather than seeing people in need and contributing to their life in love. And that brings us to our third and final point. Life. Now, what we've done so far is taken a a pretty brief stab at at both controversies between Jesus and the Pharisees, just reckoning with the events themselves, which were over Sabbath observance. Now, given how both focus on the Sabbath, and given that many Christians today have active questions about how we relate to the Sabbath command among the Ten Commandments, this final point will just takes up a few threads from our passage to provide what I hope is a good theological understanding of the Sabbath for today, at least a starting point on it. Now, in that first, so so we're, we've done both, and now we're going to pull threads from both. So in the first controversy about picking grains, interestingly, Jesus never debated whether or not the action itself of picking grain was lawful. He, he didn't enter into their actual point of criticisms. The Pharisees wanted to know how he justifies doing what they saw as unlawful for Sabbath observance, and rather than saying, well, I may have broken your extra rules, but not God's actual law, rather than saying that, he went right past it to say, because I own the restaurant. He said he could do it because he's the guy in charge. Jesus puts it back to them to worry not about what is lawful in this context, but about how he is the king of the Sabbath. And so he spotlights himself as king. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He defended his disciples... By appealing to the David story. Leave them alone because they are with the David figure. Right? And he defended his role as corresponding to David's role in the cited story there in verses 27 and 28. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. A lot of evangelicals today appeal to Jesus' statement to to having reasons, having license to not observe the Lord's day at all. And now we are not venturing into can and can't do lists, but there does seem to be a difference in what I can and can't do versus it's okay to skip church to go to a NASCAR race altogether. 
right? Well, because God made the Sabbath for me to do what I want. And that, that misunderstanding, I don't think there's a NASCAR track in Michigan, which is why I picked that. Um, so that misunderstanding doesn't reckon with how Jesus was not explaining, he was not explaining why the Pharisees shouldn't worry about what was lawful on the Sabbath, but was explaining, and this is the part to catch, Jesus was explaining his authority over the Sabbath, not what you can and can't do. Most pointedly, his authority is the Son of Man's authority, as Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus is God, the divine Son of Man, the Lord, who owns the Lord's day. He wasn't saying it's fine to ignore the Sabbath, but we must know that the Sabbath is about him, communion with Christ on his day. The event following that with with the man having a withered hand illustrates for us exactly what it means for the for God to have made and for the Son of Man to execute uh, the fact that God made the Sabbath for man. This event tells us what that means. God made the Sabbath for man as an opportunity for him to give life to his people and to let us have special communion with our maker. That is what it means for God to have made the Sabbath for man. It's a day for restoration that he is giving us. God has built it for that purpose even from creation. We opened with our call to worship as God appointed the seventh day as one for rest. If we believe rightly so, rightly so, that marriage as between one man and one woman is a creation issue, God's purposes for how he made us, well then we should also see that the Lord's day is a creation issue too. From creation, God appointed it that we might have rest and have special time to commune with our Lord in worship. As sinners, as sinners, we see that the Sabbath continues to be the opportunity for special communion with God. After all, in our passage, God the Son, who claims divine authority as Lord of the Sabbath, enters the synagogue, right? On the Sabbath, and is among the worshipers. Christ continues to do the same today. Every Lord's Day, Christ comes among his people, comes to us in the means of grace to be among his people in the church, the assembly, as we gather in the special presence of our God in worship. For for this man with the withered hand, Jesus makes clear that the Sabbath's most fitting purpose is for applying grace to roll back the effects of sin. Christ has been 
repeatedly throughout Mark's gospel, reinforcing that God's kingdom is not political, but spiritual, having to do with God's purpose and conveying God's true blessings in turning back sins, penalty, and power. Both of them. And I think that this point becomes really striking in that, after all, Right after Jesus heals this man, and I have no idea how they would justify that this is lawful, the religious leaders run to team up with the Herodians, the politicians. Right? The, this sort of religion that wanted to control people for their purposes rather than truly encountering God in his grace buddies up with politics to crowd out the true gospel. But Jesus continues to distribute life using his time among his people to do so. And that helps us think about how we should use the Sabbath, the Lord's Day, today. What should we put in our day that puts us in Christ's presence To receive true life. To receive the rolling back of sin's penalty and power. So I think that the questions aren't, what am I allowed to do? What am I not allowed to do? What wonderful things do we fill the Lord's day with? Fulfilling superficial desires for the same sorts of things for a normal day off will not genuinely heal the hurts that we have that lay upon us because of sin in this world. They might be a distraction from our problem, but it is like putting a band-aid on a bullet hole. It won't work. And so we need fresh encounters with Christ that we might drink richly from His grace. The high priest in 1 Samuel 21 let David eat special bread because he thought David was on a royal mission. And Jesus did have a royal mission. God the Father sent the Son to bring the kingdom of God to his people. The kingdom of God. The Son was the king on track to save his people. Jesus founded the kingdom In his own saving work. God the Son died to give us life. Bringing the forgiveness of sin. The same Christ who forgives sin. Here heals his people. Because the king has authority to use the Sabbath to give life. The purpose of the Sabbath then is life. That we might have life that comes from God alone. And we rejoice that God promises to meet us every week. And that Christ comes to forgive and to heal. And we don't reduce, even though this this is an example of Christ's healing power, we don't reduce Christ's healing to mere physical renewal. Whatever burdens we carry, because we live in a fallen world, Whatever ways that sin lays upon us, whether for, because of our own temptation and that makes it hard for us to resist sin, or, or simply because of the weight of the cursed world and the miseries of this life sits heavy, whatever it may be, 
to come into the presence of Christ as he comes into the assembly of his people is to encounter the source of life. As he rolls back the effects of sin in its penalty and power. And so, let us rejoice that on his day, Christ has time for the withered. We may indeed come here withered, but through his word and spirit, Christ meets us for restoration. Just like he made sure that his disciples had food on the Lord's day, because we are Christ's We come to the table before us this morning that we might be nourished by him on his day. God has given us a day for life. And so let us cling near to Christ and receive it in full. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we easily... Uh, get drawn into, in some ways, the Pharisees' exact questions about what we may and may not do on this your day. And yet we see from our Lord Jesus and, and what he did in this passage, these two passages, that we need to, all of us need to make sure that we have oriented our thoughts and hearts to the truth. That this is your day, the day that you give us to meet us for life. Help us to treasure up in our hearts the opportunities when the king comes into the synagogue, when the king comes into the assembly and meets us for restoration. As we come here and we are withered, restore us that we might know you all the more in grace. Remind us of the forgiveness we have in the Lord Jesus and grant to us healing from whatever it is that may burden us this morning. We pray for this meal as we come to partake it, that for all who receive, that we would do so worthily, that we would remember our knowledge of Christ and his blessings, that you would build us up to discern the body, that we might consider repentance, love, new obedience, and that we might feast richly on your promises of grace as you give us Jesus herein. Set aside this time that we have for your good purposes to nourish us in growth and grace. We pray all of it for the sake of the Lord Jesus. Amen.